All right, just a little bit of background information, <clears throat> excuse me, um, about 1 John. Uh, the author is the Apostle John. That's, of course, it bears his name. Apart from what we learn in the gospel, in the gospels about John, uh, he's mentioned in Acts uh, and some places like that, but we know very little else about um, the apostle. He's the writer of the gospel of John, First, uh, Second, and Third John, and then, of course, uh, Revelation. Uh, he was the writer of uh, Revelation. We do know from Scripture, from Galatians 2.9, uh, that he was one of the pillars of the church in Jerusalem, uh, but that he left Jerusalem sometime before uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70. When the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem, he had uh, apparently left uh, before that point. Early church history gives some credible evidence that he relocated to Ephesus, where he spent the last years of his life. And so he's in Jerusalem, and, and there is credible evidence showing that he did go uh, to Ephesus and minister to those churches um, in Asia Minor. If you remember in Revelation, uh, he wrote to seven churches, and uh, those are all in Asia Minor around uh, Ephesus. And so that's kind of where he spent a lot of the last later years um, of his life. Uh, the emperor Dom, Dom, Domitian, Domitian, I'm not exactly sure how you say his name, but he reigned from 80, 81 through 96, and he was known for persecuting Christians. And so at one point, um, church again, church tradition says this, the Bible doesn't say this, um, but from the early church fathers and things like that, uh, they talk about how uh, Domitian, under his rule, under his reign, uh, John was taken to Rome and he was thrown into a vat of boiling oil in the Colosseum to entertain the crowds. However, he emerged unharmed. And so many people came to know Christ uh, through this miracle uh, because he was thrown into this boiling oil uh, and didn't die. So God performed this miracle and many believed uh, because of that. Um, after that, John was banished by the same emperor, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, to a rocky island known as Patmos. It's, uh, uh, he was sent in isolation. He is exiled. It's just off the west coast of Asia Minor. And it is, a lone, it is in this lonely place where God gave him the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you've ever read the book of Revelation, he was in a lonely place. He was in exile. And God came to him. Uh, sent an angel to give him the message uh, we find in Revelation today. And so... Uh, that's where he was sent. Revelation, uh, if you look, uh, you don't have to look there. Uh, we'll read, we'll be in First John here in just a second. But Revelation 1, verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant the things which must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all uh, that he saw. And then if you go to 1 John, so we'll pick up in 1 John, chapter 1, read verses 1 through 4. And notice as we read this, the parallels between how John starts this and how Revelation started. 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. 
That which we have seen and have heard, we proclaim to you also, also to you, so, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, is with uh, uh, is with the Father, and with His Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Notice a few of the things that are the parallels here. <clears throat> Excuse me. What we see here talks about John bearing witness when he opened Revelation. Uh, we, when we hear uh, the, also the parallel here we see in First uh, John chapter 1, uh, we see that he, John, was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. And so he had his writings and his teachings uh, had incredible credibility uh, because he was there. He saw it. He was with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He heard the teaching. He had done all these things. He was a and I, he bore witness to Jesus Christ himself and to the word of God. And then we see also in 1 John that he was an eyewitness. He uses words like we handled, we touched, we saw, we spoke to. Talking about with the senses even, that he was there bodily, physically. He was an eyewitness. <clears throat> and we know that in any court case, what's the best evidence? an eyewitness someone said I saw it happen and this is what I saw and this is what John is saying he said I saw Jesus I was with Jesus and it's interesting because most of the other apostles um, they had all been martyred by this point they'd all been killed John was the last living link to Jesus Christ and he was he was he was the only one who was not martyred now he was persecuted reading acts they were beaten and thrown in prison he was thrown into a vat of boiling oil. He was exiled to Patmos, and so he went through persecution, but he was the only one who was not killed for his faith. So later in his later years, <clears throat> he was that last living link to Jesus Christ. And his eyewitness accounts give unparalleled credibility to his teachings um, and his writings. Uh, John's death came sometime around AD 100. He's, almost a, he's around 100 years old, give or take, you know, a little, but he's around 100 years old. Uh, he is the disciple that Jesus loved. If you read the Gospel of John, he, is the, he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved, um, and he is a disciple who loved Jesus, and he also loved his church. John loved the Lord, and he loved the church, and, uh, he, and he lived his life serving the church and serving the Lord. <clears throat> so that's a little bit of just information about John. Uh, John, the writer, uh, the Apostle John, who wrote this. And tonight, what we're going to be looking at is fellowship with God. Uh, fellowship with God, it, and you might say it's, it's being saved. I'll just use those, that term. It's, being, it's be, uh, having your faith in Jesus Christ and living that out, and living that out. And so we're going to talk about this, uh, this purpose, and Paul had, or not Paul, John had two purposes we're going to look at. And so the first one is fellowship with God. We're going to look real kind of just slowly at this and then talk about another one. And then we're going to go right back to fellowship with God. So this first theme is fellowship with God. First John 5.20 says, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him, know him, know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. And then the Gospel of John, if you get the Gospel of John, verse chapter twenty, verse thirty-one, 
says, but these are written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's what I love about John. He, 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 uh, he states his purpose. His purposes are clear. And he wants us to know, not hope, not guess. He says, I want you to know these things. I want you to believe and so that you may have life uh, that only comes through believing in Jesus Christ. So the gospel, uh, in the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 20, he says, all these things were written. They were handpicked. There are so many other things that Jesus did. But he said, these specific events are picked so that you may believe in Jesus Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in his name. First John 5, 20, I read it a second ago, basically saying the same thing. And so John wants us to know that we are in Christ. He wants us to leave here and know that we belong to him. He wants us to leave here and know that we are, that we are Christians, that we are his children. He doesn't want us to leave here going, well, uh, if I was to go out of here and die tonight, I think I am. I hope I am. He says, I want you to know. And how cool is that? Is that God doesn't want us living our life just hoping for the best. He says, I want you to know. And if we know, if we know this, it frees us to live a life that brings honor and glory to him. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. See, I want you to know, do you ever struggle with assurance of your salvation? I know I certainly have. And I'm sure you have as well at, at different times in your life. So, and sometimes we, we go through periods of time where maybe we're going, how could, I, how could I live this way? How could I do those things and be a Christian? It was, is, is what I read here, is it, is it right? Do I truly have faith? And we, we, we begin to question. And a lot of times these are, uh, these are lies from the enemy because <clears throat> he wants us to live defeated. But we struggle with that at times. And I know, if, I'm sure you have as well. I know I have. But John wrote this book so that we can have full assurance and confidence in Christ. That he will do and he's able to do what he said he will do. That he will be, he will be able to fulfill the promises uh, that he's made. He wants us to have full assurance and confidence in Christ. And he gives ways to test our hearts so that we may uh, be in fellowship with God full of assurance and confident in what Jesus Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, what he did. Not what we do, it's based on what he did. And that's where we have to be careful. Is so often, if we're, if we're not careful, we begin to look at our lives and we begin to uh, compare ourselves with others. We begin to say, uh, where do I stack up? Uh, am I doing enough good things? And we begin to rest in, well, I'm better than this person, but I'm not as good as this one. And we begin to do this, play this game in our mind, and it has nothing to do with about what Jesus did. And that's, what, that's where we have to come to, is we rest in what Jesus Christ has done. John does speak about growing in faith, in obedience, and love, yet this letter is not a list of do's and don'ts. <clears throat> I like this quote. It says, it's rather a manifesto of done. Jesus' words, it is finished, come to mind. When Jesus was on the cross, that was the last thing he said was, it is finished. The price has been paid. Our sins are forgiven. It's no longer based on our own goodness. It's based on what Jesus did. 
that only Jesus was good enough. We're not. So John highlights what God the Father has done in sending Christ the Son, offering him up as a sacrifice for sins, and sending forth the word of life that is causing the world's uh, darkness to pass away. Of course, anywhere Jesus is, he dispels the darkness because he is the light of the world. And in him, there is no darkness at all, is what John says. So this world is passing away, but Jesus is the light of the world. And he is the answer. He is the answer for the world today. He is the only hope of the world today. And so we need to be sharing this message of what Jesus has done for them. It's not what you do, it's what Jesus has done. And so we need to make that very clear uh, in our message as we speak and talk to people. So he talks about, it's, it's not this list of do's and don'ts, but John also highlights what he's really talking about is this intimate relationship with God, and he describes it as a daily walk with him. So if you're walking, you're moving. So we live our life, it's our daily walks, our daily routine, it's, it's, it's as we get up and, and day after day, we walk with Christ. He, and he's talking about this relationship, where it's, it's, it's moving, it's, it's active, it's alive. And this is how he describes this fellowship, is as this daily walk with him. First John also, <clears throat> so the first theme is fellowship with God. The second theme John also, he wrote this to refute the destructive teachings of the Gnostics. It was a a popular heresy um, of that time. But he's stressing the reality of the incarnation. Incarnation meaning that Jesus came in the form of a man. So that's what the word means, that Christ came as a man. He put on flesh. He was fully God. He was fully man. And so the incarnation is is the miracle of Christ uh, coming uh, being born of a virgin, and he put on flesh. And so this Gnosticism, uh, it, it denied the incarnation. Because what the Gnostics believe, this heresy, uh, they taught that matter is inherently evil. So anything you can see, taste, touch here, the physical, it is, uh, they taught that that was all inherently evil. And a divine being, therefore, could not, could not take on human flesh, um, this resulted in the distinction between man, man, Jesus, and spiritual Christ. They would believe that um, the spiritual Christ would come, came upon Jesus at his baptism, but departed prior to his crucifixion. And so really, the bottom line to all this is that it denied the incarnation, that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. The incarnation, they denied that. Well, that is a very important doctrine uh, that we believe and that we hold to, is that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. And so they denied that. They also, since the, uh, since the uh, matter was, was inherently evil, uh, they believed that their understanding of hidden, they, they believed in this hidden knowledge, and it made them this spiritual, like the spiritual elite. Like, I have this knowledge. I've had this experience. And you may, that may sound familiar to some of the things you hear out there today. This, this, this spiritual knowledge or this uh, experience that, I, that and, and it, of course, because of that, I'm more spiritual than you. I'm like a spiritual elite. Uh, this is how they, uh, this is what they did, these false teachers. They believed this. They taught this. <clears throat> so because they believed they were this kind of spiritual elite, 
Uh, they were above normal, di- normal distinctions of right and wrong, which led to deplorable conditions and complete disregard for Christian ethics. If the matter is inherently evil, I can live however I please. And that's what they did. They had the spiritual knowledge. We're the spiritual elite. We've had this experience. But since the, since the flesh is matter and it's inherently evil, then I can just do whatever I please because it's evil anyways. And ultimately, it's a way to live and do whatever you please. And so this heresy John was writing, he was writing and he, and he, he speaks of this in First John, uh, fighting against this. Fighting against this uh, because they denied the incarnation. <clears throat> so when John writes this letter, he writes it as a loving father who's concerned that his children were in danger of being lured away from the truth by worldliness and by false teachers. So if you're in First John, go to chapter 2. First <clears throat> John chapter 2. We'll read verses 15 through 17. And this is what John was concerned about. John was concerned that they would be lured away by worldliness and love of the world. And so 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, <clears throat> he says this. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yours may say, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, your version, but same thing. It says, it's not from the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so he's concerned. He's concerned about, he, he calls them dear children. He had a deep love for these people. He was concerned that they'd be lured away by worldliness, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This is how the enemy tempts us. Go back to the Garden of Eden. His tactics have not changed. What did Eve see? She saw the, saw, saw the fruit. We say apple, I don't know, some kind of fruit. And it says it, was, it looked good to her eyes. And then she desired, and then, and then it would be good for food. She noticed it would be good for food, so it looked good. She noticed it would be good for food. So, the, uh, so lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, she saw that it would make her well, Satan lied to her, but make her like God. And he does the same things. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These are the same areas that we are tempted in. And he was afraid and he was concerned that these, they would be led away by worldliness and going after the things of the world. He says, uh, in verse 16, he says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And Satan has not changed his tactics. We are tempted the same way. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And so, and so he, they, uh, he was worried about that. Concern, well, not worried, but concerned about that and about false teachers. <clears throat> the thing is, these things hinder fellowship with God. And God desires that we are continually in fellowship with him. These things that he, uh, he, that he writes about, they, uh, they hinder our fellowship with God, and it is fellowship with God that brings great joy into the life of a Christian. When we are in fellowship with God, we, it brings joy um, to our life. <clears throat> and so this is why 
God is so, he desires that we remain continually in fellowship with him. He came to bring abundant life. He came to bring us life, bring it abundantly. Um, the word abide uh, appears 16 times in this short letter, and we're going to look at them here in a second. But abide means to remain or to stay, or you may say to continue in a daily personal relationship with Christ, characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. When we see each other, how many Christians do you know and you see, you say, man, they have joy in their life? Not many. Not many. Why? Why is this? Well, probably we're not living in fellowship with the Father because it will bring a great joy into the life of a Christian. Uh, This is why God desires this. So two central passages in the New Testament uh, continue about this, uh, this abiding, this continued fellowship or abiding with God are found in John 15 and 1 John chapter 1. But let's look at these 16, highlight, these, uh, 16 instances in 1 John where he uses, he talks about the word abiding. Abide, remaining, staying, fellowship. In 1 John chapter uh, 2, verse 6, we'll read these real quick. <clears throat> says whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked uh, chapter 2 verse 14 I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning I write to you young men because you are strong and because the word of God abides in you it remains in you uh, and you overcome the evil one uh, chapter 2 verse 17 and the world is passing away Along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides uh, forever. Chapter 2, verse 24. <clears throat> says, let what, you heard from, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you, you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Verse 27. But the anointing that you received uh, from him abides in you. And you, ha- you have no need that anyone should teach you that. Chapter twenty or verse twenty or yeah, chapter two, verse twenty-eight. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Now, chapter three, verse six. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has um, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Chapter three, verse twenty-four. <clears throat> whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us chapter 4 verse 12 no one has ever seen God if we love one another God abides in us and his love is perfected in us and then verse 13 by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit chapter 4 verse 15 Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And then verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in his love abides in God, and God abides in him. If my ma- you know, I could have missed some, but 16 times that word is used in this short, in this short letter. It's a common theme. It's a common word that we see, this abiding, this remaining, this fellowship. 
with God that John is writing about. If you go to hold your place there, go to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. We'll read verses 1 through 11, and then we'll go back to 1 John. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. It says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So listen for the word abide in this as we read this. Um, uh, Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it can bear more fruit. Already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch... Uh, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, uh, he is it. Uh, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, and he is thrown away like, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. And my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." Notice one thing that abiding brings is joy. Fellowship with God and abiding in him brings joy. And I think that's something that oftentimes, I know oftentimes that I lack in my life, is joy. And fellowship with the Father, abiding in him, remaining in him. Again, John, he writes this in the Gospel of John, he writes this in 1 John as well. Talks about abiding in him. So back in 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> it says, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was man- made manifest to us. That which, which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And, and we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him uh, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice, practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, uh, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So one thing we see, a common theme here we see, is that fellowship and abiding in God results in joyful obedience. So we obey not out of duty, but because of a love for God. Um, And so it, it results in a joyful obedience to him. 
It's no longer a duty, but it's rather a delight to serve the one who loves us unconditionally. He, loves, he loved us at our worst. He loved us when we were his enemies. And so because of that, we, we obey not out of duty, but out of, uh, out of a delight to serve. We do it joyfully. And so it's important for us to, to see, the, see that and recognize that. It's why, what, what that, why the motivation of that is God's love for us. One thing John does give us, and we're going to look at now, is we're going to look at um, a test of fellowship. A test of fellowship, and he does that. And the first question, and these are on your handout if you want to take those with you, is the first question when it comes to the test of fellowship. So as we examine our hearts, as we examine ourselves, uh, we we can ask ask ourselves these questions when it comes to to are we in fellowship with God? So the first question is, have I confessed all known sin to God? And so 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, We confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, uh, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the question is, have I confessed all known sin to God? The first thing we see is that God is light. So God is light. And so if this is true, uh, he cannot associate with darkness. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So therefore, to, to engage in fellowship with him, we must walk in the light and not in the darkness. As we walk in the light, we, and what this means is as we walk in the light, we will regularly confess our sins, allowing the blood of Christ to continually cleanse us. If we are walking in, the, in fellowship, we will recognize sin in our lives, and we confess it immediately. We confess it quickly. And so is, is a, this act of, have I confessed all known sin? So we regularly confess our sins, allowing the blood of Christ to continually cleanse us. And what's awesome is that Jesus will act as our advocate or our defense attorney before the Father when we sin. So when you sin and you will sin and we do sin, we have an advocate who goes on our behalf to God the Father. And we read that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He said, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. And so he's like, I'm writing these things that hopefully you won't sin, but he says, bad news, you will. <laughs> he says, but if anyone does sin, he's basically saying, you will sin. Uh, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so when we do sin, we have an advocate before God the Father, saying, I have paid the penalty of this person's sin. It's been covered. It's been cleansed. We have an advocate. And it's hard to imagine what that looks like or how that works, but Christ goes to God the Father on our behalf saying that sin has been paid. That sin is covered. And so the question is, have you confessed all known sin uh, to God? Second question is, am I walking in obedience to the light of God's word? Uh, 1 John chapter 2. 
verses 3 through 5. It says, By this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So there's a test right there. It says, We know we know God if we keep his commandments. Chapter, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word and it uh, keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. As by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So proof of our walk, walking, walking in the light, so to speak, uh, will be keeping the commandments of God and replacing any hatred we have toward our brother with love. Is that if we are walking in the light... Uh, so that's why the question is, am I walking in obedience to the light of God's word? Proof that we are doing that is keeping the commandments of God. So if you look at your life and you, just, and, and you evaluate your life, uh, again, we're not perfect. We sin. We mess up a lot every day. But what is your life characterized by? Are you keeping the commandments of God? Again, verse 6, uh, verse six says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so we walk we fought in the footsteps of Christ. We, that's the goal, and that's God's goal for us, that we become more Christ-like um, over time. So as we said a, a few minutes ago, there are two major roadblocks that hinder this walk, um, which are falling in love with the world, and falling for the allure and the lies of false teachers. And so the, these are two dangers, two roadblocks we have to keep, eye, keep an eye on and be, and be careful of and be cautious of. And when we begin to, we begin to fall into, in love with the world, we confess that. And fellowship is restored. And so it's important for us to recognize this. Also, recognize deception and false teaching. And by the way, that's what the Holy Spirit does. When you came to know Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. He comes and indwells you, and he gives you the ability to be able to recognize false teaching and, and uh, false truth, or <laughs> false truth, but false uh, teachers that are out there. So the third thing is, am I demonstrating in love for the brethren? First John chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> it says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. But verse 9 again, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. You see, what John's getting at is it doesn't really matter what we say. We could claim to be, uh, you could claim to be a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. If you were to go out and ask a majority of the people in this country, are you Christian? Yeah, sure. I guess, yeah, I'm a Christian. What we're saying here is there's tests. There's things that we can examine in our hearts. And one of these things is a love for the brethren. We see that God is love. So since we are his children, we must walk in love. John says that if we do not love our brothers and sisters, we do not know God. And he's speaking specifically here. Now, we are to love, love all people. But he's specifically speaking here of each other. Of each other. The people of God. 
the church. This is who he's speaking of. Do you have a love for the brethren? Do you love the people of God? One thing it is, is what John makes clear is that it is evidence that you've experienced the love of God personally and that you've been saved, you've been changed by it. So hold your place where you were and go to 1 John chapter 3. Verse 10. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. It says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor does he who does not love his brother. Which uh, It's interesting. It's interesting that uh, that is one of the evidences uh, that we belong to the Lord. Uh, verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, which we, have, which we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brothers. Since this is one way we can know we belong to Christ, is that we love the people of God. I lost my place there. Oh, here we go. Uh, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he has laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his, his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word, or talk, but in deed and in truth. We can't, you can't say it any more clear than John says it. Is that, do you love the people of God? That's a very important thing. A love for God's people, as a Christian, a love for God's people uh, is evidence that you've experienced the love of God. That he has changed you. That you are no longer the same person. You are no longer... Um, of the world. You belong to him. And so are you demonstrating love for the brethren? Our love is to be practical. Love is more than just words. It's actions. Um, If you're of my era, DC Talk had a song, Love is a Verb, which I don't know if anybody in here is in my era who would remember that. Hugh does. But uh, it's, it's something that we do. It's something we do, and uh, it's not something we say. And we say, "I love, the, I love, I love this, I love that, I love you." Um, but I can say that. But what do my actions show? And so it's something we do. It's it's a verb. It's an action. And so we see that it's it's this is what John is getting at. It's it's not just words. It's actions. Love is giving, not getting. Biblical love is unconditional in its nature. And again, this is how God loves us. Go to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, verse 10. He says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, propitiation it's a hard word, <laughs> for our sins. And then verse 19. 
We love because he, lo- he first loved us. Can't be any more clear than that. Why do we love God? You didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to love God today. No, it says he loved you first. He loved you first, and we respond to that love. And that response is joy, this joyful obedience. Uh, John speaks here in, in, in this uh, letter about how his commandments are not a burden. It says we know that we belong to him by keeping his commandments. But by the way, his commandments are not a burden. They're a joy. If we've experienced the love of God, obeying him is not something that, it's not drudgery. It's not, oh, I have to do this. I have. No, it's a joy. I want to. It's not a burden. See, when we experience the love of God, it changes everything. We love because he first loved us. God is the initiator. And he, sent, he loved us and he sent his son to pay the penalty, to die and pay the penalty of our sins. Um, and, he, and he extends his love and his grace toward us. And we have no other way but to respond except in gratitude, in joy, and saying it's not a burden to keep God's commands. I want to. I want to because he loved me and he extended his love toward me. So why would I not want to do that? And so his, son, his, his, uh, his death paid the penalty of our sins. Another thing we see is that God is life. And those who fellowship with God must possess his quality of life. Spiritual life begins with spiritual birth. That spiritual birth occurs through faith in Jesus Christ. That moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And now you've been given eternal life. And so spiritual birth occurs through faith in Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus it infuses God's, uh, in us God's life. And this is eternal life. Therefore, the one who walks in fellowship with God will walk in light, will walk in love and life. And it brings great joy when we're walking in fellowship with him. The unconditional love of God demonstrated toward us, this is our motivation for walking in fellowship with him. It's the love of God. It's because of the love of God that we confess our sin continually because we, don't, we do this because we don't want to grieve the one who loves us, the one who paid for our sins, the one who saved us. And so I confess my sin because I don't want to grieve him. It's the love of God that, that compels us to do so. It's the love of God because of the love of God that we walk in obedience to his commandments. It's because of him, it's because of the love of God that we can love one another in here. It's because of the love of God that his commandments are not a burden, as I mentioned a minute ago. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. It says, if you love God, and it's interesting because John says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. He says, however, uh, the commandments of God are not burdensome. And by the way, we realize, as we, as we grow and mature, we realize, they're for our good. They're for our good. When we, when we are living outside of God's commands, we are living outside of God's guidelines of the things that he sets up, we can really mess our lives up. He says, inside these boundaries, there's safety and there's freedom. There's freedom here. He says, for the, and so I love that verse in 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commands 
are not burdensome. God's love in his people gives them the desire to love and please him. So with eagerness, they keep his commandments. Rightly understood and followed, God's commandments bring believers great joy and freedom, not a sense of oppression. It brings exactly the opposite of what the world sees. It brings freedom, not oppression. It's a joy to serve him. And so as we close tonight, we're going to kind of go through these real quickly here. But the first, the first thing is, have you placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Are you saved or have you been trusting in something else? Have you been trusting in your own goodness? Have you been trusting in uh, maybe you had a, maybe you grew up in a Christian home or or maybe you go to church, or maybe you give, or you know you fill in the blank. But have you been? Have you truly been saved? Are you resting and placing all your faith in what Jesus did, not in what you do or your own goodness? And the finished work of Jesus Christ is where our faith is to lie. Do you have assurance of that? Do you have assurance of that tonight? How do you know? Well, according to First John. He speaks, of having, he speaks of placing your faith in what Jesus did. That is the starting place. Have you done that? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Is there a love for God? Is there a pattern of obedience in your life? And do you love the people of God? If, to, if not, tonight is the night you need to do that. Uh, go to 1 John chapter 5. Verse 11. <clears throat> it says, and this is the, is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and that this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we we may have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked of him. So if you're here tonight and you say, I don't, I've never placed my faith in Jesus Christ. When we ask him in faith, we can have confidence that he will give that to us. So if you ask him, for, if you ask him to save you, we can leave with confidence and assurance that God, is good, that God has saved you. And so, and, and there's really, and there's not a, a third thing. We can't ride the fence. Either you have the son or you don't. Either have the son or you don't. And so don't leave tonight without, without knowing that. Not leaving, don't leave tonight without knowing that, uh, you, that you belong to him, that you've been saved. For those who are saved... Are you continually walking in fellowship with God? Is there sin in your life that needs to be confessed to restore fellowship with him? It's kind of like in any relationship. When, there's, uh, when we're not getting along or there's fighting or there's strife or any of these kind of things, uh, we can't have fellowship. And so uh, we can, the relationship is still there, but, but it's not right. Let's put it that way. So when we're living in unconfessed sin, um, as believers, as Christians, 
the fellowship with God is not going to be there. The relationship still is, but the fellowship is strained. And so is there unconfessed sin in your life that needs to be confessed tonight to restore, restore that fellowship? Um, if you need to, take some time tonight and do that. Uh, because 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our, give us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we sin, and we will and we do, we confess our sins, it says, guess what? God is faithful, and he's just, and he'll forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Finally, the third thing, how's your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you truly love your fellow Christians? Because, by the way, we read in 1 John, the world, the world hates us. It says, don't be surprised, the world's going to hate you. You belong to Christ, the world's, uh, the world's going to hate you. Because we don't belong to the world. We belong to Christ. And so we need each other. And we bear each other's burdens and we can pray for one another. We can serve together and we can care about one another. And when somebody's uh, hurting, we can, uh, we, can, we can help them. And when you're hurting, they can help you. And so we need one another. The church and the people of God are so important, the relationships that are there. And what's great about it is not, this is something that the world can't offer. The world can't offer that. Unconditional love amongst people who are totally different. I mean, even in this room, we're, a, we're from all different, we're different ages. We're from different places in, in life. We're from different places all over the world. And we can come together and we can worship together and love one another and care about each other. And we have this common bond of Jesus Christ and nobody else can do that. Nowhere else can do that. That's not normal. That's not natural. That is a Holy, a Holy Spirit thing. So do you truly love your fellow Christians? John 13, 35 says, By this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it says, when people look at the church, what do they see? And, and we're blessed that, we're, that our church, uh, we are unified and we do care about one another and we love one another. But so often when, people, when the outside, from the outside the church looks in, what do they see? Fighting, bickering. Churches get angry, they split. They can't even get along with one another. Well, that's a bad testimony. That's a bad testimony. And we are blessed that that's not, that's not the case here. But it, it is the case in so many places. John 13, 35, again, by, all, by this all will know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So when the outside world looks in and they see a group of people who are totally different, from all different walks of life, who love one another, that's different. That's different, and it's a testimony to the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And that's why this is one of the marks, it's evidence that you know the Lord is, do you love the people of God? Do you love the church? So as an old man, speaking of John here, but as an old man who had followed Jesus from his youth, John called on the believers of his day to return to a simple, intimate, day-by-day Moment by moment, walk with Jesus. This is the challenge of 1 John, is that we walk with Jesus moment by moment, day by day. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In other words, just keep, just walk with Jesus each and every day, all day long.
So we just, we're walking. We're walking in the light. Again, this is going to require reading his word, because we've got to know it. Listening uh, to when he, when he uh, leads us to do things, that we're listening, but that we're, we're walking with him every day. So, so often, we get distracted by so many other things. And again, these things are not bad. These are not bad things, but and there's things we have to do. We have to go to work. We got got kids. Got to get to school. And there's just things we got to do. Um, life's is busy, but if we're not careful, it consumes us. We get so distracted by these other things, and it keeps us uh, from focusing on what really matters. And what really matters is Jesus Christ. What really matters is the message of the gospel uh, that we are that we will, willingly <laughs> proclaim. Uh, in our life and with the people that we know, people we come in contact with. So to sum it up, John basically says this. He says, let me make it this simple. Walk with Jesus, cling to your faith, stay in the light. When you sin, confess and move on. And show your love for Jesus by loving your brothers and sisters in his name. How can you love your brothers and sisters this week? How can you do that? And think practically. Is there sin in my life that I need to confess? Am I walking in the light? Am I, is, is my life characterized by obedience? How can I love people this week? How can I love the people of God uh, this week? Uh, maybe somebody, you know somebody in need. How can you help them out? It's the love of God. Uh, that It is the love of God that compels us to do these things. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much. For who you are, we thank you that you do love us, even though we don't deserve it. We thank you that we can, we can walk in fellowship uh, with you. And Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone here tonight who does not know you or is not assured of that, that they wouldn't leave here tonight without being sure. Uh, we know that John wrote this, uh, that we may know that we're saved, that we may know that we belong to you. So I pray that if there's anyone in here tonight who does not know that, uh, that they'd be able to do that tonight. Lord, I pray that, you, that we would find our joy and fellowship uh, with you, that we would regularly confess our sin, that we would joyfully obey, and that we would love our brothers and sisters in your name. I ask that you would help us to do that. Would you make us mindful of these things? Help us not to be so consumed and so busy by our schedules and things going on in the world. But God, I ask that you'd help us to focus on you and serving you, and that we would realize that your commandments are not burdensome, but they're joy. So I pray that you help us to joyfully obey. I do ask that you be at our services this week on Sunday, that you would be with all, those, all the classes, all those who are teaching. Uh, Lord, you'd be with our pastor as he, as he speaks, the music and all the things that are going to go on, all the ministries that are happening. Lord, I ask that you'd be honored and glorified. And uh, Lord, that you would challenge our hearts and speak to us uh, this weekend. I ask that you be with us throughout the rest of this week. As we go, I ask that you'd help us to be, uh, that we would be a light in this community. That we'd be people who share the gospel with our words and with our actions. That, we, that our lives and our actions will match. And that we see people come to know you. I ask that you would use us to do that. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.